He says, but you've, you've heard the bad news. There's going to be this captivity. But, have you heard the good news? All that stuff aside, have you heard what else is to come? But now, thus says the Lord, your creator. He reminds them who he is, right? He says, you know, the, yes, there's bad news, but have you heard the good news? This, the Babylonian captivity, it lasts, again, this is 80, 100 years before it even happens when Isaiah is writing this stuff. But the people who are going to read it, who are in captivity, their captivity, you know, when I, I keep saying that term, they are basically slaves or servants in Babylon. That captivity lasts for about 70 years. So, a lot of the people that were taken captive were young people. So some of them lived the whole time. And they can remember what life was like before their bondage. But for many of them, they were born there. And they've never known anything but bondage. They've never known anything but suffering. Never known anything but darkness. And so they can feel like, well, this God that my grandpa talks about, I don't know anything about him because I've not experienced any of that stuff. And, and so, you know, they may have thought that God had abandoned them. He says, but now thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. And this word formed, uh, it's the same word he uses when he talks about how he formed us in the womb. And it's, the word is yatsar, and it, it means, uh, it's a pottery term. It means to squeeze and to shape, to mold with your hands, right? It's an intimate thing. You take something formless and you give it form, and you squeeze it into shape. That's what he's done with this. You are his unique piece of art, we're told in the New Testament. Who formed you, O Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. Right? I have purchased you. I've called you by name. There's something special about that when people take the time to learn your name, to know your name. I'll be honest, my memory's terrible. Everybody to me is dude. Uh, and don't be offended. I call my kids that. It's just safer that way, you know, rather than, hey, Bill, and we're like, no, that's not it. Not even close. I remember one time, I won't tell on uh, who it is, but somebody here in the church was, who also has this problem, they thought they had a cool trick, and they were like, hey, how do, we, how do you spell your name? And the guy was like, J-O-E. He's like, and they were like, uh, no, I meant your last name, and I don't remember what it was, but it was like Smith or something like that, you know, and I'm like, uh. You're busted. So, um, anyway, but there is something special when people, like, they, they know your name. They call you by name. And God says, that's how I know you. You're not just one of billions of people. I know your name. I formed you. You matter to me. What's crazy to me is, you know, he, he formed us into what, Roughly what he wants us to be. And he gives us freedom to, to be who we want. To, to be whoever we 
decide to be, right? He, does, he doesn't set us in stone. We're still malleable. We're still formable. And I check, I, I've been checking myself lately on this. I encourage you to check yourself. You know, what state of firmness or softness have you been in his hands lately? Are you still willing to be molded and formed? Or have you just decided this is who I am and this is how I am? We talked about that a little bit on Sunday when people, we excuse ourselves out of obedience, right? Like, um, God calls me to do this, and I say, yeah, but that's not, just not how I am. Well, too bad. That's, you know, that's not how it works. But anyway, he, uh, he formed us. He, he, he knows us by name. But then he says this weird thing. He says, I have redeemed you. Even though I made you, I formed you, I own you, right? You are mine. I still went and bought you again. I redeemed you. Paul, I think, was um, thinking of this when he wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. He says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Even though he made you, he still went and bought you, paid for you again with his son's blood. He says, you are mine. And since you are mine, your worries and your cares are mine, your troubles are mine, I'm in this with you, is basically what he's getting at. We made it through one whole verse. Let's, let's go back to Isaiah 43, verse 2. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Because you're mine, because your troubles are my troubles. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. You notice, though, he, says, he doesn't say if you pass through, or if you some of these things might happen to you. He says, when you pass through the waters. We tend to pray about things, and maybe this is just me, but we tend to pray asking God to get us out of things, right? I'm in a pickle, get me out of this. Get me out of this situation. That is not, sometimes he does. Sometimes he just delivers and you know, he's merciful that way. But that's not how he always works. More often, uh, he doesn't promise a clear path. He promises to get us, to see us through it, right? You're gonna experience problems. Charles Spurgeon, people love to quote him, and I, I'll be honest, I bought his whole, like, collection of sermons and notes to my students and all that stuff, and uh, I like about that much of it, you know. Uh, but, there was one thing he, he said that I, I, has always stuck with me. He said, I owe more to the fire, the hammer, and the file than to anything else in my Lord's workshop. In other words, it, it's the hard times, the difficult times are what form you. It's what produces faith and endurance and all of that. But yeah, the Lord didn't uh, promise that we would have Smooth times. As a matter of fact, he, he said sort of the opposite of that. In Matthew 7, verse 24, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, in other words, you, 
you read what Jesus says and then you apply it. That person may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. You know, he doesn't say, anyone who hears these words of mine and applies them will not experience storms. He says, no, I'm, I'm just giving you the firm foundation to get through it. He wants to not get you out of it, but get you through it. So we always, uh, that's one of the things we talk about a lot around here is when, you, when you're in a mess and you decide to pray to the Lord about it, don't just pray, God, get me out of this. It's, Lord, teach me what I need to know from this and then get me through this. Because I don't want to end up back here again, right? If you just get me out, I may get right back in. But if you get me through, I, I, you know, I'm not going to be back here, Lord willing, again. All right, uh, Isaiah 43, verse 3. We're cruising along. He says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. Seba is another name for Ethiopia. At that, or Cush, I'm sorry, is a, another name for Ethiopia. Uh, since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored, I... Uh, and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. That's a phrase that we see all throughout the Bible. But in these last few chapters, he said it, I think, seven or eight times already, just in the last couple of chapters. He really wants, to know, wants them to know, look, do not be afraid. Even when dark times come, I'm with you. Uh, let see, do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. So while the people were in captivity in Babylon, now remember, Babylon is, depending on which you know, end of the kingdom you're looking at, it's between 500 and 900 miles away from Jerusalem. That's a really, you know, significant distance, and especially back then, you know, they, you couldn't call an Uber or get a, you know, express flight or anything. Like, the, they were a long way from home, and so during their captivity, they couldn't even fathom or dream of a time when their entire nation would be repopulated. And he, and he says, don't worry, I'm going to bring you back. From the four corners of the earth, I will make sure my nation is repopulated. And it's interesting today, you know, because there was a time when Israel wasn't a thing. And since the 1940s, there, there is a nation of Israel again. And, you know, what's interesting is uh, they're one of the few nations on earth whose immigration uh, outpaces its birth rate. More people move into Israel every year than are born in Israel. It's uh, filling up. Year after year. Verse 7, he says, Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. He says, I'm going to fill this nation up from the four corners of the earth, and it's not just going to be the people that were in captivity. Anyone who is called by my name, anybody who is a child of God, is going to have a place in my, in my kingdom. 
Now he kind of shifts a little bit. So we get to verse 8. Because something that's important to remember is, and this is true across the generations, is we become like the gods that we worship. That's why we see in nearly every book in the Bible a, a warning to flee idolatry or to beware of idolatry because it's the thing we're most prone to. We want to worship something. And, I, and idols are just anything or any person that we turn to for our comfort before we turn to God. So it can be a person, it can be a drug or an alcohol, it can be a, a hobby, an activity, whatever. Um, we're very prone to that thing, and we become like the gods that we worship. So in verse 8, he says, Bring out the people who are blind, even though they have eyes, and the deaf, even though they have ears. All the nations have gathered together so that the peoples may be assembled. Who among them can declare this and proclaim to us the former things? So remember, in the last chapter, he talked about, hey, let's bring your idols and put them on trial. Um, how well do they stand up? You know? And again, he's kind of pointing at that again. He says, let's, let's bring out your idols again. Uh, who among them can declare this and proclaim to us the former things? Let them present their witness that they may be justified, or let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. Verse 10 and 11 are maybe a bigger deal than you realize. I was talking with uh, someone actually earlier today about uh, a person who has a background with the Mormon church and it just got me thinking about this. You know, verse Verse 10 is, is huge. Mormons believe that, that our God is one of a multitude of gods. That our God has a mother and a father and aunts and uncles. And, and they actually have this expression that um, as man is, God once was. And as God is, man may become. Right? The idea is God was just some guy that did really good and eventually became a God. And you can do the same thing. And that's, that for one, that's just not true, and, and God's pretty explicit here. He says, before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. Yeah, now, there are false gods, and Paul tells us in the New Testament, every false god or idol is just a demon trying to get a little, a little bit of worship that is, should have been for God. The reality is there is no other name under heaven by which men are saved, the Bible tells us. There is one God. In, in John chapter 1, he tells us that in the beginning was the Word, Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that everything that came into being came into being by Him and through Him and for Him. Um, well, we could spend a lot of time just talking about the Trinity and all that. But anyway, the, the, those two verses are, are pretty important. He says, there's no other God formed, uh, none after me. 
Uh, I am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. Verse 12, it is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed, and there was no strange God among you. So you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. And verse 13, we see another big concept. There's a bunch of stuff in this little chapter. Uh, if you're a note taker, you could just write the word sovereignty right here at verse 13. I'm not going to tell you how to spell it. Look it up. Verse 13, he says, even from eternity, I am he. And there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act and who can reverse it. You know, two, uh, twice that we know of in the New Testament, the Jews sought to stone Jesus for one very specific crime. And you may have heard people say this, you know, that, well, you know, Jesus never actually claimed to be God. You ever heard anybody say that? There's two times where they sought to stone him because he claims to be God. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, that's what it said. Uh, but there's one instance in particular where they just come out and ask him, they're like, okay, you keep saying this mysterious stuff. Are you the Christ or not? And John 10, verse 27, he says this. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And just in case there's confusion, verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. They ask him, are you the Christ? And he says, well, let's see. I give eternal life. Nobody can take it away from me. Um, you know, God the Father and I are the same. What do you think? And their reaction is they pick up rocks and they try to stone it. So, uh, but, you know, he, he's echoing the same things that we see in Isaiah 43, uh, that you know, he is sovereign, uh, he is the Savior, he is the one and only God. We'll move on. Isaiah 43, verse 14. He says, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, right, the one who bought and paid for you, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I have sent to Babylon and will bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans, into the ships into which they rejoice. So he lets them know, look, for one, you ending up in Babylon, you guys kind of brought this on yourselves, but it's also for your good. And he, he mentions the Chaldeans. That's just another name for the Babylonians. He says, you know, all the things that they are depending on and uh, putting all their faith in, that stuff's going to crumble. Verse 15, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters. He reminds them, hey, I'm the God who parted the Red Sea. Remember that? I'm that God. Who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the mighty man. And they will lie down together and not rise again. They have been quenched and extinguished like a wick. Verse 18. Do not call to mind the former things. 
or ponder things of the past. So he reminds them, yeah, I'm the God that did these big things in the past, but I don't want you thinking about the past. Verse 19, behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. We have this bad habit of we remember what we should forget and we forget what we should remember. The devil uh, is, one of his titles in the Bible is the accuser of the brethren or the whisperer. Right? He likes to whisper in your ear and, go, and just remind you of every dumb thing you've ever said or done. And most of the time, those things that you said, you remember them way more than anybody else did. But we, we tend to remember what we should forget, and we forget what we should remember. We forget what God has done for us. And the problem is, is we don't, it's, it's really hard to see what God is doing in the present if you're stuck in the past. If all you can think about is all the things that have gone wrong, and I just wish God worked today like he did back then. So you, you think he's not working now? What's he up to right now in your life? Just give it some thought. If I were to ask you that question after church or on the street, what's God been doing in your life? He's been doing something. Have you, he says, will you not be aware of it? Are you paying attention? Verse 20, the beasts of the field will glorify me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I've given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. The people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. He says, yeah, you're going to go through some darkness, but part of your job, your role in this relationship, since you're mine and I bought and paid for you, your job is to shed a little bit of my light in the darkness. You're going to be my witness. You're going to give me praise for what I am doing in your life, if you pay attention. So in other words, when God gets you through something, tell somebody about it. It'll be good for them, and it'll be good for you to pay attention, to notice, to... I'm going to verbalize, God. I know God has been blessing me. And here's how. Because we, uh, I may, maybe it's just how I'm wired, but I know I tend to notice more of the, the things that didn't go my way and the missed opportunities and the, the, thing, the negative things that people said or whatever. And it's really easy to, to not give God the glory uh, for what he has done. Verse 22, he says, uh, Yet you have not called on me, O Jacob. You have become weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought to me the sheep of your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings, nor wearied you with incense. So these people that are in captivity, they don't have a, a temple to go to to worship anymore. He says, you guys haven't been offering me anything 
uh, you could have been, but I haven't burdened you with forcing, you know, saying you have to come to the temple when you can't. Verse 24, you have brought me not sweet cane with money, nor have you filled me with the fat of your sacrifices. Rather, you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. He says, basically, the only time I hear from you is when it's going badly. You're treating me like your spare tire. You pull me out in an emergency, but I don't hear from you any other time. Verse 25, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. He says, I do this not because you deserve it, not because you've been a really good boy, so I'm going to wipe away. No, I, I do it because I'm faithful even when you're faithless. Because I'm better and greater than anything you can imagine. I'm going to do this. I wipe, uh, wipe out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. You're dwelling on the things in the past, and I wipe them away, and I'm not thinking about them. Verse 26, put me in remembrance. Let us argue our case together. State your cause that you may be proved right. You know, when I'm going the wrong way, I try to not think about it. Uh, and it eventually catches up. But what I found is that when I confess my sin, when I talk to the Lord about it, and go, God, you already know, but here's what I, what's been going on with me. It loses a little bit of its grip on me when I do that. Verse 27, he says, Your first forefathers sinned, and your spokesmen have transgressed against me. In other words, your, your priests and your prophets are fallible, right? They've messed up too. Verse 28, So I will pollute the princes of the sanctuary. I will consign Jacob to the ban and Israel to revilement. And he's kind of leading into something that's going to start in the next chapter. The next chapter starts with another big but. And we'll, we'll get into that next time. But Israel, um, they didn't want to deal with their sins, so they end up in Babylon until they come to terms with it. And he, tell, he tells them, look, this is not a new thing. He says, your first father, in other words, Adam, sinned. He had the same problem. Every priest you've ever had has had this same problem. Every prophet you've ever had has had this same problem. But, I'm going to close with one passage here. 1 Timothy 2, because the rest of the but is going to be in the next message. But 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, Paul tells us this. He says, there is one God and one mediator. Right, because he, God just told them, look, every mediator you've tried to have, every person who's kind of stood in the temple in your place, has been fallible. But there's one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Remember, he bought you and paid for you. The testimony given at the proper time. See, there's one name under heaven by which men are saved. There's one way to the Father, and there's one way through the trials you're facing. And it's all the same. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you again this evening for the fact that uh, you've made you've made a simple way 
through difficult times. That you, you don't want to just be our spare tire. You want to be in the midst of our trials with us and get a, see us through them. We're thankful that, uh, that you love us so much that even when we're faithless, you remain faithful. Lord, we just pray that you would help us to lean more and more on you. That we would give you the praise and the glory that you are so worthy of. That we would, when things go well, when we, uh, even the simple things, that we would give you praise and honor for it. When we wake up tomorrow, should we wake up tomorrow, and have breath in our lungs, and the ability to rise from our bed, it's purely by your grace and mercy. Lord, help us to go out into the darkness and be a light for you. Yeah, we pray for your blessing on the church, on your people. But Lord, we pray you come and come quickly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, ready?